Amen. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. We appreciate everyone being here so very much and be here, being here uh, in person and online. And we're so glad to be able to see one another, encourage one another, and be in each other's presence. We continue in Romans chapter 13 today, but I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you came across something you didn't like? You didn't like what it said. You wished it hadn't said that. You wished God had said it in a different way or something different and hadn't, or hadn't said it at all. That ever happened to you? Well, this might be one of those times for you. I want to let you know at the very beginning of Romans 13. And so what do we do when we're faced with something in the Bible? And if we're honest, we don't like what it says. Well, you know, we might have a lot of yeah, buts and, and what about this and things like that. And, 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 and God is God, so he can handle that. You're not going to hurt him by, by asking questions and wondering and things like that. But when we're faced with something in the Bible and we don't like it, then what it is, it's a test of our faith. We're, we're challenged with the question, am I going to have faith in God? Am I going to trust God, that, that God knows what He's doing, that God is in control, that God is God, that, that God cares about me, that God is paying attention, and that, that He knows what He's doing? So I'm faced with the question, do I trust God? Or do I not? Even when, and especially when, I don't like something in the way that it is said and something that's said in Scripture. And so I think especially the first seven verses of chapter 13 might be one of those times. And so you may have to decide whether or not you trust God. And I think that's a good challenge to have every now and then. But... Also, I want to encourage us when we come across passages that we're like, wait a second, I don't know. Then what we need to do is we need to take a position of faith and say, well, God, I'm going to seek to understand what you are trying to say, what you are saying, what you want me to understand before I insert my yeah buts and what abouts and all that. And then I can begin to ask questions. I need to seek a deeper understanding. What is God saying in His Word? And if I'll start there, I'll be on, on the right path. So let's read the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. Now Paul's going to take us kind of on a journey here. But in the first seven verses, he writes, "...let every person be subject to the governing authorities." For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to, con to good conduct, but to bad. Would you, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." For he is God's servant for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 5, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Uh, For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. God is telling Christians how we are to relate to human government. And we might not like the sound of some of the things we just heard when we think about government we know, whether in our country at any level or elsewhere. We might be thinking, Paul, or not Paul, (laughs) to the author, are you out of your mind? Do you have a clue about reality in this world? And so like I said, we're challenged with, Am I going to seek to understand what God is saying? And am I going to put my faith in God? Or am I going to just jump and not listen and not learn and not grow? So it's okay to have the yeah buts, but let's first get an understanding of the Word of God. See, because when we become Christians, what does God do? Uh, He rescues us from the dominion of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, right? The Bible says that. But in the meantime, we've got to live on this earth, on this planet, in a nation, in a, in a state, in a town, depending on where you live in the world, whatever it's like in your world. You've got to live somewhere on the planet where there's some level of government. And so how, as a Christian, who now I'm a citizen of heaven, how do I live on earth? with the various levels of government that exist. That's not an easy thing. But do you know the context that Paul was in when he wrote this letter to the Romans? Nero was the emperor. And take some time, I'll mention a couple things, take some time if you're interested and read about Nero. One scholar called him an in human monster. And I can't even describe some of the things that history tells us he did and what he was like. This was, another scholar uh, uh, compared him to Hitler himself. That he was like that back then, if not worse. He was a terrible, horrible, evil emperor. Now, history does tell us That in the beginning, he became emperor when he was 17 years old. In the beginning, things weren't all that bad. That doesn't mean things, there was, you know, perfect freedom and everything was wonderful, but it wasn't like it was going to get. Does that make sense? And so they didn't have the extreme persecution that they later had, but this is coming off of what has just happened for the Romans is that Emperor Claudius had had expelled all the Jews out of Rome. 
And by the time of writing, they had just recently begun migrating back. And we talked about that. Then the church, was, which at this point had been Gentile for a while, was now having Jewish Christians come back into it, and they were learning to live with one another. And yet they're in this in Rome under Roman rule where the Jews and the Christians both, whether the Jewish person was a Christian or not, they knew persecution for either their ethnicity or their faith. They knew what this was like. They knew they didn't have freedom and it wasn't always a safe place. And, and they may have a level of freedom for a while, but they knew they had to, they had to be careful. They had to watch, watch it. And so that was the context that Paul is writing in. Peter was, wrote his letters during Nero's reign, and he wrote in 1 Peter 2.17, Honor the emperor, knowing Nero was the emperor when he said that. So Paul begins with this clear command, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So we can't say, well, 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 uh, well, not Paul, I'm sorry, I keep saying Paul, but the Hebrew author. So we can't say, well, you don't understand, because they did. They understood. Now, the governing authorities, what that, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting my Hebrews, and I'm going back and forth because I taught Hebrews this morning. I'm getting my Hebrews and Romans mixed up. It is Paul, so forgive me. I'm probably confusing y'all. <laughs> Rewind the tape and we'll edit that out maybe, I don't know. We'll use some CGI or something. But the word, the phrase governing authorities, this is our civil authorities at every level that Christians are supposed to be interacting with. And Paul is saying, submit yourselves to the civil authorities. But, but before we jump to the, yeah, but do you understand the problems? Let's go there because that's where our minds go. First of all, just realize, back up and realize we need government. And, and, and don't go to the extent of, yeah, but here's how. But look, we need law and order, don't we? So God instituted, authorized, granted authority at different levels. He granted authority in, in the civil government form. He granted authority in the home. And he granted authority in the church, didn't he? And so what God is, what, what, what Paul is writing about is the ideal and the way God designed it. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about. This is the way God intends it to be. This is what he wants it to be. All right. Now, the rest of verse number one, look at what Paul says. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist uh, have been instituted by God. So God has established authority. And we need laws. Our country was founded uh, as a nation of laws and not kings, wasn't it? And that's a good thing. We need law and order, okay? We can look around in our country or in other places where we see a lack of it and places where it might have it been doing it right, and you see a difference. And in our home, we need laws and rules in our community. And there's, there's the same kinds of guidance for the church uh, from Scripture. And so at a basic level, and that's what Peter Paul is talking about, is we need laws and governance at, in different ways. Jesus himself said to Pilate in John 19, 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is telling him, I know where your authority comes from. And, let he, and yet he let him 
be corrupt in the way that he was and do what he did. And many places throughout the Old Testament talk about God's establishing authority, uh, the government, government authority. So in verse 2, God also tells us we're not to resist this authority that God has uh, appointed. But look at verses 3 and 4 now. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of, of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So now we're getting a clearer picture of what Paul is talking about. Look at verse 4. The govern, governing authorities, those civil authorities, are what? God's servants. That word also can be translated minister. God's ministers, what? For your good. So that's a clue right there to understand Paul's talking about the ideal that God has established. Does that make sense? For your good. That's what they're supposed to do. That's how they're supposed to operate and function for the good of people. Okay? So obviously, obviously we know they don't always do that well, do they? Some are horrible at it. So God's purpose for government is for the good of the people. Okay? And, and think about it. We believe that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, meaning from God, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe that here. And to believe that, then, you must also believe that God established government and civil authority. Okay? Now, remember, we're talking about what God's design is, what His intent is. So God wants government to administer justice, as He said, towards wrongdoing. And so law-abiding citizens should have nothing to worry about, again, in God's design. Now, look at verses 6 through 7. Paul says that we should pay our taxes. That may be the one you like the least. That we should pay our taxes because the... And here's why. Because the authorities are what? Ministers, servants of God. See, that's where you just want to say, well, that don't make no sense at all. Right? You know, don't you just want to insert, yeah, but. You know, that's what you just want to tell Paul. Paul, you have no idea. But do you think that the taxes they paid during that time were all, all went and used for good things? No, absolutely not. Uh, uh, and, and Jesus himself, Matthew 17, said, we're to pay taxes. Give to Caesar whom, uh, what, you know, what you owe. Give to him what you owe. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So not all taxes go to pay for good things. And guess what? Jesus didn't mention that. He didn't say anything about that, and neither did Paul. So, so we're, this is the longest passage that deals with government and, and that kind of thing in the New Testament. There's other places. Uh, Peter talks about, talks about it some. Jesus certainly did. But even with the scriptures that we have in the New Testament that talk about government, we're still left with questions that we want to ask. All of our questions are not answered. And that happens in other subjects when we look at scripture. that We don't get all our questions answered sometimes. 
And so that points us back to faith. In, in the Sunday morning class, we're, t- we're doing Hebrews 11, teaching Hebrews 11 by faith. So you're challenged with, am I just going to have faith in God or not? Knowing the mental and even moral trouble I have with obeying this sometimes. Does that make sense? So Paul and Jesus weren't saying, hey, this is easy. Here's an easy one. He he could have added, here's a hard one. You know, love your enemy? Well, here's another hard one. Right? Because we struggle with these. Understandably so. That's okay. But ultimately, where is your faith? Does God know what he's doing or does he not? Okay. What Paul has written, as I said, is God's design. And that does not mean that God approves of every government that is currently established, does it? That doesn't mean he approves of the current government wherever you're talking about at whatever level, okay? In the same way, it doesn't mean that God, because he established the church, doesn't mean he approves of all churches or every congregation of his church. If they are not governing themselves according to the New Testament, then he does not approve of that because he said, here's how I want you to do it. In the same way, he doesn't approve of every home and the way it operates. If it's not operating in a godly way according to Scripture, God doesn't approve. See, we understand it at those levels. It's the same thing at the government level. Although probably just more challenging for us to to swallow. It's a tough one for us. So look at this next slide. Let me ask you this question. What do we do then if authorities, because this is where our mind goes, if we don't agree with something, or even further, what if the authorities ask us, uh, demand us, command us to do something that is wrong, that is against God's will? That's an important question. So we need to know what, what we should do. Well, we actually looked at some of that with Pharaoh and Moses and the midwives and his parents this morning in class. But let's look at Acts chapter 4 and and 5 and we'll see some examples here. Peter and John have just healed a lame man uh, in Acts chapter 4. And then they begin to teach about Jesus. People gathered around. The lame man was there. He was healed. And they're they're, they're listening. What, What do they have to say? And the priests were annoyed. Why? They were always annoyed because the apostles were getting all the attention. They were getting all the views and the likes and they were trending and and, and the high priests weren't when they were teaching about Jesus. And so they start getting annoyed and jealous because people are believing what Peter and John are teaching about Jesus. And so the high priest gets really annoyed that people are believing their message. They bring them in for questioning. And look at verses 18 through 20. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. He's telling them, Hey, you can decide what you want to decide. We know what's right. 
You may, you may disagree. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, no matter what ruling you, you, you have, no matter what your command is, no matter what your, uh, your instruction is, we're going to do what we're going to do. And that is we're going to obey God and we're not going to disobey God. We're not going to disobey God to obey you. Peter and John then go back to tell others what had happened. They go tell other Christians, hey, guess what just happened? And you know what all of them did? The Bible says they prayed. But what did they pray for? They didn't even pray for safety. They didn't pray even to make that Mino high priest nicer. They prayed for boldness to keep teaching about Jesus. And what happened when they did that? They prayed to be bold even when threatened. And the Bible says when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was what? Shaken. God didn't shake that place because they were going along with whatever the world said or whatever uh, government said or because they were fussing about a party or a politician or a platform. God didn't shake that place because they were, uh, they were going nuts over politics. God shook that place because they were on fire for Jesus. That's why he shook the place. that's what God wanted them to be about. And there's no mention of, please make those mean no bad people nice to us. No, it's make us bold even when we're threatened. To not back up, to not back down. And in Acts 5, it happened again. The church was growing and the high priest arrested all the apostles. That's a little bit worse this time. And during, during the night, they're all in jail. During the night, an angel busts them out of jail. And he takes them somewhere uh, and he tells them, get back to teaching about Jesus. Well, hold up, we just went to jail. We were in prison. We were in lockup. The angel busts them out and says, get back to work. You just prayed for boldness, get back at it. The high priest found out and brought them in for questioning. Look at verses 28 and 29 of Acts chapter 5. The high priest said, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Look at verse 29. He says it more clearly than he did in chapter 4. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. You see that? So what we see in Scripture, and that's just two examples, that there are limitations to submitting to, the, to authorities. There are limitations that we find in Scripture. And this sums it up here. We submit up to the point where obedience to the government would mean disobedience to God. If the, commands, the government commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then our Christian duty is to resist in order to obey God. But let me give you this warning. Let me say this. Listen to this part. Please understand there's a big difference between what you don't like and what you don't agree with 
and what God said. Did you catch that? I may not like it. I may not agree with it. But if it doesn't violate God's word, Scripture stands. Now, in your personal life, that's why Paul's writing you. You got to work that out, you see. Work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. You, you got to deal with that because there's plenty we don't like. There's plenty we don't agree with. I, I, get, I, I understand I'm with you. I get it. What are we going to do? Sean Connery in the movie The Untouchables, when he's on the floor, he's dying, and Kevin Costner's character is Elliot Ness, and they're, they're after Al Capone. Sean Connery's, these are his last words, and he sell, says to Kevin Costner, uh, Elliot Ness, he says, what are you prepared to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Is your faith in God, is, is your faith and your trust in God, or is it in something else? And we see in what they did in Scripture. Okay, I think 1 Timothy, i got to wrap up. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 helps us understand what Paul is saying here. A lot of times it's good to see what Paul said here and then go see what he said over here. And then it's like, oh, okay, okay, i got a, I got a more complete picture here. 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Verse 2, look at verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you catch why Paul said we need to pray for everyone and for our leaders? Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In other words... No persecution. Leave us alone so we can worship God and do the work God would have us to do. Because when we have that peace, God's design is the church flourishes. Unfortunately, when we have peace, that ain't always what happens because we get relaxed, right? And we say, oh man, if we had persecution, we'd be after it. When God's like... Why don't you pray for peace and be after my work and see what happens? Why not try God's plan? So freedom to practice our religion is one of the things, uh, reasons why we pay, pray for leaders. And then God says, uh, uh, Paul says this, it pleases God. This pleases God who wants what? All people to be saved. You see, that's why we need to be praying so we can get out there and help all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We need to pray for government because also, remember what Paul said earlier, they're supposed to be his servants. There's, they have a job to do that God gave them to do. Except maybe 0. 
0.01 something percent understand that, right? I get it. But that's what they're supposed to be doing. Pray for them. They're supposed to be doing what God set them up to do, which is for our good so that there can be peace so that others can hear about Christ. Now, this is a wonderful country. And, and, if, and we know it's not perfect. But look, not everywhere has the opportunity to get involved. And that is an option for Christians to get involved at different levels, and some do. And so, and so if you're in another place, you may not have that. You may have zero opportunity. We live in a place where we can engage in different ways. So at, as a Christian, functioning as a Christian, that can be a good thing, for God, a way for God to use you. Now look at, we got to finish, look at 8 through 10. Uh, oh, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall commit you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to uh, a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of, of the law. So he highlights love. The Christian is supposed to live a life of love. And love for God means I'm going to obey his word when he tells me how to function, interact with government at different levels. So, verses 11 through 14, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul's saying, get out of your bed, clean the sleep off your eyes, get your PJs off, and put your armor of light on. Put on Jesus because the day is almost over. And that's and this is what I appreciate Cliff's prayer. This is what Cliff was praying about. Understand that the day is almost over, and you don't know when it will be. Be ready. Be about the right battle. I'm not saying you can't engage. God isn't saying you can't engage uh, properly at different levels. But understand, you're a citizen first and foremost of heaven. Be about the Father's business. He's saying, wake up spiritually. Get rid of the sin in your life. Get after the work of God. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's writing to people who are already Christians. And in Galatians 3, he said, you put on, when you put on Christ in baptism, you're being clothed with Christ. Here, what he means when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, learn to live like a Christian. That's what he's saying. Live like you have put on Christ. That's how you're supposed to live. And make no provision for the flesh. And that means you need to think ahead about how Satan tempts you, about how he gets you. Not, not someone, how he gets you. Provision, provide for, think ahead, forethought. And you need to make no provision for the flesh. So, so you don't let sin get in the door of your house, your life. 
You don't let sin get on your front porch. What do you do? You make provision. When sin steps on your front yard, you shoot it. That's what you do with sin. Sin gets on your property. You shoot him. You get that gun. You shoot. You make no provision. Don't let it get that close to you. You may need to change some friends and some habits and some routines and some activities. You may need to change a lot of things in your life. You may need to do something. Make no provision for the flesh because the time, the judgment day is coming. The day is here. He's saying, be ready. God is telling us Christians we need to wake up and know what time it is. That's what we need to do. Be about the Father's business. So I want to ask you, are you sleepwalking in your faith? Are you wide awake living for Jesus? Where do you stand? Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Is there any way we can pray for you, encourage you, help, help you, study with you? Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and be a Christian. We went a little long. This is some stuff I didn't want to rush through. Perhaps it needed two separate lessons, but... I think it's, it's really important, and I know I didn't exhaust it either in one, one setting, but I think it's a good subject. I encourage you to study that more. And uh, most importantly, the final point, are you sleepwalking or are you wide awake in your faith for Jesus? That's what it's about. That's what Cliff prayed about. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.